0: As a congregation, I believe we're being stretched as we study Jeremiah and the psalmist kind of in a ping pong fashion back and forth each week. This week we're looking at both of them. Our agenda as we feel very led of the Lord is to all of us take a new step in our spiritual journey. No matter where we are, we're gonna grow and growth is always a little painful. Jeremiah is a different diet and you'll sense that as we continue to study him but it's one so relevant for these times. And I would ask you to pray with me as we ask God to give us ears and a heart to respond to his message. Lord, we thank you for your word, for the faithfulness of your heroes in the past, and for the miracle whereby through your Holy Spirit, they speak, you speak to us today. Do that right now, for we pray in Christ's name, amen. There's a common trap into which many believers fall victim. It's a sin. And it's the sin of making comparisons. Our text deals with a classic question that I put in this format, why do good things happen to bad people? Jeremiah asked, why do the wicked prosper? If we think deeply, most of us know at least one person who seems to totally ignore God. That person treats other people badly. He or she adopts selfish, even immoral lifestyles. And still, they seem to be blessed with financial good fortune, lots of friends, an outwardly successful marriage, kids that do everything right, good health, a youthful physical appearance as well as an infectious personality. And then we ask, God, why me? And why them? Now, we don't usually discuss with each other that we do this, but it is sort of a habit of the heart. Whenever I get caught in the quicksand of making comparison, which is always combined with accusing God of being unfair, at least one thing always happens. I make myself miserable. Why? Because everybody suddenly seems to have it better than me. I become blind to the hardships and burdens others carry. I become blind to the blessings that God continues to lavish upon me. And above all, I become a whiner and a complainer. I found encouragement preparing this message to learn that Jeremiah, one of God's great men, did the same thing. He, He is familiar with this struggle and he offers us some help. So let's look at this rather peculiar text. First, Jeremiah reminds us that when we hurt, when life's tough, one of the things we often do is begin to make comparisons. And whenever we make comparisons, we're really pointing a finger at God, saying, you're unfair. If you know the story of Jeremiah, he is hurting. He didn't want to preach to these people. He never wanted to be in the ministry. But God called him, told him, go and preach to this rebellious people and I'll be with you. So he did. He called them to repentance and he told them all about the awful things they were doing. And instead of being rewarded by God for his faithfulness, he was rejected He was beaten. He was finally thrown into an abandoned well and left for dead. And at a low point in his faith, he asks God what he's asking him in this text. God, why do the wicked prosper? And all I do is seem to suffer and have bad luck and awful things happen to me. God, it seems so unfair. Now, what's surprising, and the whole key to this text, is God's harsh response. If you look at verse five, you know, what does that mean? God says, well, Jeremiah, if you've raced with men on foot and they've worn you out, how can you compete with horses? My wife said, I I did a poor job explaining it last night. Let me see if I can do better today. Um, What Jeremiah is saying is, or God is saying to Jeremiah, Jeremiah, whatever gave you the idea that being faithful to me will make you prosperous and protect you from suffering. I have called you to be faithful in a world that's in rebellion against me. Stop whining. Stop making comparisons. Life isn't fair. If you think you've had it hard struggling with men, what were you going to do when you fight with horses? In other words, life is going not to get easier. This is just the beginning of the struggle. But you know what? I'm going to be with you. It's not in a life of ease, but in pain and in testing that you're going to be molded into that person I want you to be for all eternity. Malcolm Muggeridge, one of my favorites, stated it this way. Indeed, I can say with complete truthfulness that everything that has truly enhanced and enlightened my existence has been through affliction and not through happiness. Now, I would suppose most of us would agree philosophically with that that suffering helps us grow and it's probably a good thing but I also want to be real honest today I don't think many of us believe it or at least want to believe it or at least want to believe it in application to our life we'd like to have another way to grow You see, things happen to us we feel we don't deserve and then we question God's love and we question his justice why is it we say God other people bend your rules, they break commitments, they run out on their families, they go on their merry, irresponsible way of selfishness, and they still prosper. And here I am kind of hanging in there, and my life doesn't get better. If anything, it gets worse, or at least it stays in the rut of being the same. You see, it's easy to pound on God's door and say with Jeremiah, "I, God, I don't understand you. When Jeremiah compares his own faithfulness with the wicked who prosper, he put it this way in verse two. These people who ignore you, you are always on their lips, but far from their hearts. And I have you in my heart and I'm trying to be faithful to you and they have everything I want and believe I deserve. God, you're unfair. I don't know if you ever have that dialogue, but my guess is you do, or you do but you don't admit it to yourself because we're at a new level here in our relationship with God, but you know what? God can handle that kind of honesty. But here is a truth, when once understood, that can save us untold misery and prepare us to live in tough times, which I believe we're in and will get tougher. Did you know Jesus never gave us assurance that being faithful disciples will bring rewards in this life? Many preachers have presented that, but it's a myth. Jesus never promises that life will be fair. In fact, the only thing he ever promised is that if you'll follow me, you're going to have to pick up a cross, die to yourself. And you're going to have to lose your life to save it. That's what he promised. The wicked often do receive rewards in this world. But remember, rewards for the believer come later. So the first truth in the text From Jeremiah, don't make comparisons. God has all eternity to set balances right. If you believe it, you found one key to relieving yourself of a lot of anger and misery. A second truth, it's costly to live as Christians in a culture that's in rebellion against God's authority. It was true in Jeremiah's time, and it's very true in our time. We live in a culture that is in wholesale rebellion against God. Now, American Christians are very far removed from the costs that confronted early Christians in following Jesus. I ran into these words from Hebrews the other day. This is almost a foreign language, but listen. Remember those earlier days after you had received the light? When you stood your ground in the face of suffering? Sometimes you were publicly exposed to persecution You sympathized with those in prison. You joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property because you knew that you yourselves had a better and lasting possession. So don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere. My righteous one will live by faith, and if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. Can you imagine today that if the cost of coming to church this morning meant that your house could be taken away from you, you could be thrown in prison, and you'd have to go comfort other Christians who are in prison, or at least as you walk down the street, you'd be humiliated. Uh, That just isn't in our culture right now. But some of you are paying costs for your faith. Uh, You have trouble in your marriages. You have trouble at work. You have trouble with your kids. Life is a burden. You're alone, and you don't have anyone. And life throws things that you... You that make you really wonder, is it worth being faithful to Jesus? And I would offer you from this text that just the cost of persevering and hanging in there when you aren't rewarded is part of the cost today of being a Christian. Because we live in a society around us where it appears that everybody's throwing off all restraints and they're getting by with it. As I was preparing this sermon, it occurred to me that I believe God is preparing His church for days when it's going to be increasingly costly to follow Jesus. We think it's hard to struggle with men on foot. What if we have to struggle with horses? This would be the text that Jeremiah is struggling with. God, it's so hard, and God says it's gonna get harder. But can you think of a more invigorating challenge for a purpose for your life than to live in a society that's rebelling against God's light and shine like a light of alternative. To give hope to people who are looking at things and saying, there's no hope and we're in a tailspin down to a meltdown uh, in terms of our value systems. And then suddenly there's a few people who take the name Christian standing there saying, there's hope. We're part of a kingdom that's coming. We stand for Jesus Christ. We're not part of the crowd. We're swimming against culture. I think that's an exciting lifestyle. And I think that's what we're going to be called to do. Things are fast slipping. An editorial in US News caught my attention. It was criticizing the Calvin Klein ads that use teens to sell underwear in compromising poses. A spokesman for Klein responded, the target audience is made up of a generation that's independent." And media savvy. Advertisers are focusing more and more on the emerging market of people who do only what they want to do. That is people who yearn to be completely free of all restraint, expectations, and responsibilities. I wear Nike running shoes. You know what their slogan is? Just do it. Burger King, sometimes you gotta break the rules. An ad for Neiman Marcus says, relax, no rules here. Do you see what's happening? We're in a society that has completely rejected the reality of a God out there who gave rules for everybody. So we're all making our own rules. Our schools are teaching our kids to create their own value systems. We live by how we want to live and we're casting off restraint. You and I are very rare birds in the midst of a culture that's going out and playing God themselves. That's costly, but I think it's exciting. There's a current movement to clean up talk shows in our environment. But you know, unless we clean up people's heart and get them changed by Jesus Christ, changing anything really in the environment isn't going to do a thing. We've, we've learned that. So again, can you think of a better way to invest your life as a believer than to model a workable alternative to a valueless, moral, dead-end society that's fast on its way to moral oblivion. We Christians are the hope of the world, a foretaste of the kingdom that's coming. And this is no time then to worry about comfort zones or to worry about God's fairness. We're in a battle. Now, there's something else in this text that's good news. Jeremiah's having trouble paying the cost, and he's depressed, and he's making all these accusations against God. He reminds us that there will be peaks and there will be valleys in our willingness to pay the cost of being faithful to Jesus. We aren't always going to be hanging in there at our very best. At times, we're going to feel angry at God and believe He's unfair. At times in the future, as the cost gets greater, we're going to fill with doubt about the value of living straight in a crooked world. We're going to be tempted to throw off restraint with the rest of the crowd. In fact, as I prayed for you this week, I wonder... How many of you came here today, right now, and you're tempted to throw off some kind of a restraint somewhere? You're fed up with being faithful. You're feeling ripped off by God and you're about to do something irresponsible. God has a way of timing stuff. I need to tell you, God didn't reject Jeremiah because he was tempted and was in this tailspin and began to compare and accuse God of being unfair. And you know what? The psalmist had a similar experience. God's heroes aren't perfect. He said, and I could have written this myself, my feet had almost slipped for I envied the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. They don't have struggles. Their bodies are healthy and strong. They are free from burdens common to man. They're not plagued by human ills. They're always carefree and they increase in their wealth. Surely in vain have I washed my hands in innocence. The psalmist is saying, God, it isn't worth it. Doubt is part of the cost of being faithful to God in these times. But in spite of the doubt, I want to call you in the name of Jesus Christ to persevere. The pain is worth it because you can know ultimately your faithfulness will be rewarded, if not in this life, in the next one. And if you aren't in the next one, interested in the next one, then we need to grow in our faith because ultimately that's all that matters. All the rewards the wicked are getting are in this world and they're going to leave it all behind and ultimately they aren't worth zero. Think about that. So it leads to a final question. What, if we do, what do we do if we know we're caught in the sin of making comparisons and we're angry at God today and we think he's unfair? The psalmist discovered an answer. <coughs> Rather than fret over life's perceived inequalities, he calls us simply to trust God. Do not fret because of evil men or be envious of those who do wrong. For like the grass, they will soon wither. Trust in the Lord and do good. Delight yourselves in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. To fret means to become obsessed with what we judge to be God's unfairness. If we delight ourselves in the Lord, it means we get so close to Jesus that then we begin to want what he wants and we stop wanting what the wicked want and therefore we get what we want, the desires of our heart. The writer of Ecclesiastes puts it this way, though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will will be well with those who fear God, but it will not be well with the wicked. That's the bottom line. Here's what I want you to take home with you though, because this is what the God hit me with. Perhaps it's time for some of us to rethink, why are we really following Jesus? Why are you here? Do we seek only his comfort, security, protection, the good life, his blessings, and we think if we come to church and mix with good people, somehow things are just going to be better for us? I can guarantee if that's your motivation, you will fret because these gifts are not what Jesus offers, and you're gonna discover that, and it's gonna surprise you. Jesus offers a cross of self-denial, a mandate to put the needs of others ahead of your own, power to live straight in a crooked world. He calls us to obedience, he calls us to righteousness, and he also said, I'll be with you in tribulation when you start paying the cost for that kind of life. I admire Christopher Reeve. He's the actor who played Superman, if you're not familiar with him. Recently, he was injured in a horse accident, you remember, and now he's a quadriplegic. has to use a ventilator to breathe. Nothing is said about him being a Christian, and yet so much is being said about Mr. Reeves' beautiful spirit and courage in the midst of this terrible ordeal. He's no longer Superman. He can't move any part of his body. And I asked myself as I watched him being interviewed, I wonder if our trust as Christians is deep enough to conquer the despair, the hopelessness, and the anger that would seek to invade our souls if we were in Mr. Reeves' situation. So whatever situation you're in today, and I'm sure many of you are in great pain, can many of you match Mr. Reeve? And you're a Christian. And are you whining and comparing? Or are you saying, Okay, God, do with me what you want. If that's how you're going to mold me into the person you want me to be forever, go for it. Now, that's a tough call. But, you know, God's tough sometimes, and that's what makes this sermon tough. I wanted God to respond to Jeremiah with some warm response when Jeremiah cried out from that hole in the ground, God, why do the wicked prosper? And I just wanted him to come and kind of pastor him. And instead... He just said, Jeremiah, stop whining. Things aren't going to get easier. They're gonna, you're just beginning the struggle, but I will be with you. And that's the word this morning for you. It's not going to get easier in the world. This world is not suddenly going to get more Christian. I think Christians are going to come under more attack than we've ever been, but we don't wring our hands. Jesus is with us. We're on the winning side. We're going to make it. I will not preach a gospel that implies that um, Ed McMahon will come knocking on our door with his check for 10 million, with photographers flashing at our good fortune, so hang in there, it's coming. The blimp will be there. Uh, No. Jeremiah teaches us though, that trusting God is something better. Even if things get worse, I'll face my situation with courage, with joy, with hope, because I know God is near and I know He has an eternal plan for me. Confidence that in the long measure of things, God will be a righteous judge. And confidence that God will take care of me and mine in the meantime because the psalmist said, I was young and now I'm old, and yet I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging bread. There's a best seller out by Timothy Miller entitled, How to Want What You Have. I haven't read the book, I think I'm going to, but the title impresses me because it's an answer to this sermon. This week, as you go out, and you wonder what Gerber preached about, Gerber preached about Jeremiah telling you, go out and want what you have, and stop comparing, regardless of your circumstances. Give thanks for the blessings God has lavished upon you. And if you are in hurting times, remember what Frank said to us last week, and it's your hard luck if you weren't here, because it was a good sermon. He said, Jesus is in our boat with us, and therefore, no matter how great the storm, your boat won't sink. I want to remind you, that's true. So if you came to church making comparisons, leave giving thanks. Because in the final measure of things, our God is fair, he's loving, and he's just, and we can stake our lives on it. And I praise him for that truth today. I trust it will bless our hearts. Let's bow in prayer. Jesus, make us tough. Make us the kind of disciples that can shine as your men and women lights in a very dark world. Get us out of our comfort zone. Give us new visions, new courage. For we pray in your name, amen.